the German Innovators in China podcast. We empower you to stay tuned with Chinese innovation. I increasingly see the necessity for a German deep tech company to see China as a standalone market. If I were the founder, okay, I would from day one consider a China for China plan. Find a partner, deal with the public sector, deal with state-owned enterprises, and then create a long-term business. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome Zhou Wei, CEO and founder of Xnode. Xnode is a startup accelerator program with multicultural teams in Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Singapore. Great to have you on the show, Zhou Wei. Very happy to be here, Bettina. Joey, the mission of Xnode is to build the leading Chinese platform for global innovation. Please, could you explain to us what that means? Well, the company was founded back in end of 2014, and uh, surprisingly, back then that was uh, when Premier Li Keqiang promoted the whole innovation and entrepreneurship. And I realized actually there's very few people in China are building international bridge. And uh, because all the startups and entrepreneurs are very actively pursuing their own dreams and、uh, successfully building their business within China, I think that's what are the golden days. So very few people realize the importance or the necessity to really get connected with the rest of the world. And、uh, being Shanghai is obviously、uh, an advantage of always being seen at the gate with the rest of the world. So I decided to do something around that. So after nine years, we're still in the business and.、Uh, This is how we started, and this is a、uh, this is why we'll we'll stay here. So, when looking at your website, I got the feeling that you particularly stress team spirit and collaboration, and this plays a key role at Xnode. You even say that collaboration is the new competitive advantage. What makes Xnode so different from other accelerators, and how do you actually live this、uh, next level collaboration at Xnode? Well, I have to say, most of the incubators, accelerators in this country, specifically, and the incubator in general actually has a history of almost thirty years history here in China. But surprisingly, majority of the incubators, accelerators, and excuse me for saying that, I hope I'm not really offending my industry peers. A lot of companies actually are either living on, renting out desks and office spaces to the SMEs. Which they claim are tailored toward the startups. In fact, they're not. Or they're living on the government subsidies. So if you approach any the Chinese domestic startups, incubator accelerators, I think you really need to look into their business model first. Are they really doing the right thing or not? Okay, and、uh, that's the first thing. And second thing is, even if you are doing something similar, then you should also try to understand: Are they standing on the side of the startups or? Are they essentially maybe helping local governments, promoting trade investment, and bringing these companies land in China, register in China? So actually, that's also very different business. You really need to look into the reality, their business model, and their value proposition, and who are they really serving for. I see. And if you take an example from your accelerator program, how do startups connect with each other? How do they connect with, let's say, local players, with companies, with、uh, maybe also local governments? How do you facilitate this collaboration from your side as an accelerator program? Well, before I answer that question, I think I might just give you a, a very brief history of the overseas startup program, the Landing Pad program. 
So the, the, everything started back in 2016 when we signed the first program with Australian government, with Australia basically here in China. So Australian government set up the five strategic outposts all around the world, including Singapore, Shanghai, Tel Aviv, San Francisco, and Berlin. So these are the five cities they picked. So we are very luckily, we were picked as a the service provider, which is obviously endorsed at the same time by the Shanghai municipality government. So in our city, the regulator that is overseeing our business is the Bureau of Science and Technology. In Chinese, we call it Kowei. And uh, so this agency is specifically looking at our activities and overseeing the business of incubator. The whole journey started from there. And being very bluntly honest, when I started the company back in 2014, I didn't even realize there's a such a thing called government subsidy or government policy. I always believed why a private company needs to involve, interact with the public sector. I mean, you just do your business, create value for the customers and help them solve their business problems. And here we go, you have a business. But until I really started the thing, and specifically when we signed the first contract with Australian government back in 2016, I started to realize, ah, actually, there's no way you will get away from not to work with the Chinese public sector. The public sector, in my definition, is actually a broader sense that includes not only the government officials, i.e. the regulators, or the related stakeholders in different agencies, commissions, or bureaus, but also include the SOEs, state-owned enterprises which are generally speaking associated with the related government agencies, okay? And I think it will be very much a must to work with them to understand their behavior and their patterns with very simple reason. I think same as most of the East Asian countries, the industrial policies, the macroeconomic trend, the specific focus, the grant, the subsidies, the favorable tax policies, these are all driven by the public sector and being promoted Firstly, through these state-owned enterprises, which is under them. So if you don't understand the whole dynamics, you will be missing the trend. And more importantly, over the past few years, we see the state-owned sector is becoming increasingly powerful. I cannot comment whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's just a fact that is happening. So at least over the past few years, we realized actually dealing with public sector is becoming increasingly a necessity. It took us a few years to learn how to do it. So using Australia example then, if we don't deal with the public sector, if don't deal with the Science Technology Commission, you're not really doing this hand and properly. And specifically from the Western government perspective, they also would like to understand the policies, to understand the ground, to understand the subsidy, to understand the tax favorable policies to help their country's companies to land in China successfully. And without that, then, obviously, you can do all the things by yourself. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can. But I think you will not be able to really touch upon the real land, the earth of China, without interacting with the above-mentioned agencies and the enterprises. This is, generally speaking, I think one of the major challenges. And for me, even as a local company, I've been an entrepreneur for the past 16 years, since 2007. Only over the past few years, I really started to learn how to work with the public sector and state-owned enterprises. By the way, I'm in my late 40s. So as a very easy thing for the overseas startups to understand is it will take you longer and much more difficult for any newcomers to know how to work with them, how to deal with them, how to understand the trend, the policies, and whatever these grants and subsidies. Very difficult.
So I think you have strong ties with Hitech XL, a deep tech accelerator from Eindhoven in the Netherlands. And I think you have already brought a couple of teams from there to China, if I understand that correctly. How important has China become for deep tech startups and how um, difficult is it for them to learn about all these interactions and collaborations? How can you support them? And why have we not seen like a hyperscaler or an important international startup within China? Is the reason behind that, that they have been not good at collaborating with local officials? Well, I think there's a few reasons for that. But before we answer the question, I would like to mention about the deep tech itself. I think globally speaking, whether it's Europe, the US or China, or even the small city state of Singapore, I think unanimously the major governments are embracing the concept of promoting deep tech, growing deep tech, specifically growing deep tech startups. Because deep tech company, first of all, takes longer to build. And it's more difficult for the deep tech company to enter in, to end up with being a successful commercialized product or service. It just simply takes much longer. And sometimes because of that nature, deep tech inevitably will require huge funding and a long-term commitment from government, R&D institutes, and universities. First of all, I would like to mention that, okay? So deep tech itself become an internationally popular phenomenon and then all the major countries that start to embrace that concept And second, deep tech, a big chunk of the funding, China included, uh, actually the public sector is playing a very important role in being part of the growing the driving force behind it. And thirdly, when we talk about the question that you just raised about international startup and deep tech company entering the China market, before we answer that question, so let's leave aside the execution sort of angle. Let's talk about politics. I think increasingly so, because of the geopolitical issues, the challenges, the Sino-US competition, I think European companies included, even Asian companies included, from day one, when we talk about deep tech companies actually entering the China market, on the other hand, the Chinese governments, public sector and private sector are looking forward to work with overseas deep tech companies, even the private sector included. I think there's thousands of listed companies in China. They're very actively looking for opportunities to work with overseas ones. Why that's not happening? One of the major reasons is this has been overshadowed by the geopolitical issues that is happening everywhere. The trust level between China and the rest of the world is now increasingly become a central topic. But it doesn't mean that the business opportunity have gone. Actually, the China remains the world's second largest market. The public sector, the private sector, as I just mentioned there, are very eagerly looking for the opportunity to work with overseas deep tech companies. So who can do it? I think to solve that challenge, so there's a hesitation on the west side let's use germany example the german there's a lot of good deep tech companies from germany who are looking for customers but they're hesitating they see china as an opaque and increasingly difficult place to do business but the needs are there the size of the market are there the pain points are there to be solved so that's from the europe side from german side on the china side geopolitical issues i mean china finding increasingly difficult to find the partners For example, the partner with the German universities, partnership with the German incubators, accelerators, partnership with the German government agencies is increasingly become challenging. So the middleman, the so-called the concept of the trader in this tech innovation sort of ecosystem, the traders, the necessity to bring these people come back are actually becoming reality. So I see the middleman is not becoming a very much needed thing. 
How does that influence your collaboration with Hitech Excel, for example? Are you still seeing companies from Eindhoven coming to China? And how is that picking up after the pandemic? Is there a trend that you see? And also, is there a trend of more deep tech companies uh, seeing the necessity of coming to China and actually coming here at least for first market exploration and market assessment? The reality is the needs are still there, but the numbers are shrinking. As I just said, the major reason is the trust and the confidence and who can I find to help me do it and enable it to make it happen. So as a result, the very fact that we have been doing this business over the past nine years, we've built a deep level of trust with our Europe partner. For example, you mentioned the high tech cell and deep tech cell, and we have been continuously helping overseas startups, for example, with Singaporean startup, even during the three years of COVID. These are all good evidences. At the end of the day, there are companies still available in China that the overseas startups and scale-ups, specific deep tech companies, feel the trust, they feel the necessity to do business with. And I think that's the reason why we're still here. But when it comes to numbers, you're absolutely right. The numbers compared to pre-COVID, I think we're seeing a smaller number, not a growing number. But actually, when you see the reality, the nature of the deep tech, it's not about the quantity anyway, it's about the quality. So at the end of the day, actually, this gives us the opportunity to actually pick, cherry pick the really outstanding ones and to basically stay with them, babysit with them and build a long-term relationship with them so that actually create a better results for both parties. I don't see it at the overall as a bad thing. However, for the industries in general, I do see the interaction, the communication, the partnership between the China-based incubators and accelerators and the overseas ones. This bridge is not becoming narrow. The bridge has become shorter, not longer. That is becoming a reality. And let's talk about the examples of deep tech startups that do come to China. I think we met at an event last week. Um, there were a couple of deep tech startups that just came to China to do some market exploration. And I think there will always be some, some deep tech startups coming, as you said. From the ones that you have supported so far, are there any ones that were able to establish a long-term base and successful business in China? And what did they do differently? What were their success factors and how did you support them? European companies, let's use German company example, are very much process focused. You really follow the process. Okay, I'm coming to China. I have a plan. I have this timeline. I have the milestone. I have these requirements of the weekly and then daily schedule, which I need to fulfill, okay? And I need to reflect on that and basically build a new plan around that. You basically follow your own process and methodology. The China ones are very different. The fundamental features, if I, if I may, to list one of the fundamental differences, compare the Chinese ones and the German ones, as example, the Chinese startups and scale-ups and Chinese enterprises, even including the big ones, unanimously, they look at the result. Forget about the process and methodology. Come over to, your, to, to us and let's test and create a result immediately. So we need to really manage expectation on both sides. And guys, there is a process on one side. There's a result on the other side. By the way, both are truly still look at the final result. In this specific regard, the German ones and Chinese ones are looking at the same thing. There's no fundamental differences. But the process, the way to get there, how to get there, actually there's a huge differences of understanding. And by the way, 
if the Chinese companies wants to say, hey, let's work seven days a week, let's work nine to 12, nine to nine, and every single day from Monday to Sunday, I okay with it. I ready for that. Sometimes the German companies are scared. Okay. And if 90% of the company's staff, the people you're working with, the engineers, the funders, the business development people, if they cannot speak the foreign language properly, then that makes the communication even more difficult, which is why companies such as us will be able to come in. And basically what we do is we, first of all, we analyze the problem statement. We analyze the competitiveness of the product and service. And secondly, we create a process, a timeline, a milestone, so that both need to align and agreed on that process. And then we start working. And by the way, among the companies that we are going to match make with the German companies, there are three types of companies potentially you need to talk to. One, state-owned enterprise, as I mentioned at the beginning. And two, private local enterprises. And three, multinational ones. Obviously, the German startups and scale-ups will feel much more comfortable starting from the China-based German multinational companies of Bosch, of Siemens, of BMW, of Continental, of these type of companies. But this is the, the fraction, this is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the enterprises you can, you'll be able to find in China. There are tons of the other private local enterprises and the state-owned enterprises here in China you can potentially work with. I think for the overseas ones specifically, the biggest, the most difficult ones are, if, you are, if I rank from the most difficult to relatively difficult and to not difficult, it will start from, at the beginning mentioned, state-owned enterprises. So you should start with the most difficult ones for German founders. You should not so much focus on the multinationals and start with your fellow entrepreneurs to talk about China, but, but really start with understanding China first. Well, not really. I think for the, for the overseas ones, it will be obviously much easier to start from multinational ones, from the overseas ones at the beginning. However, if for those companies who decide to stay, to land, to register, to build a long-term business, then you realize it's a must to deal with the other two pieces, to create a short wing, a short wing success, to find out there is indeed a product market fit. So I have my product and services validated. I have a traction here. It's always the easiest and the most efficient to start from multinational, the one you feel comfortable and familiar. But that's just the beginning. In order to create a long-term journey, to be truly successful in China, then, as I said at the beginning, you will not get away not to work with the overseas, the state-owned one and the public sector, okay? However, not every company will be entering to that stage. A lot of companies will simply be scared off and also decide not to enter for stage one, which, by the way, is not a bad thing. If the companies after, the, for example, a one-month or two-month or three-month program realize, oh, holy moly, China is really difficult. I mean, I've already had the hundreds of competitors in here that I don't think I'll really be able to create a competitive advantage. I cannot simply compete with these people from cost perspective or from technology perspective or from understanding customer perspective, from whatever perspective. If you realize China is way too difficult, it's not the place for me, the best place for me to be, forget about it, then, then fine. Make a decision not to come. It's a good discovery for you not to waste your time. Instead of spending 12 months and 24 months realizing it's a huge mistake to come into China, then you better find this out within the first one and three months and then walk away from it and go to South Asia, go to Latin America, go to Africa. It's not a bad thing. But for those who have find a product market fit, for those who are not afraid of the China dilemma, who are not afraid of the China opaqueness, 
who are not afraid of the China being so difficult, who decide to set up a foothold, who decide to do the long-term business, then find a partner, deal with the public sector, deal with state-owned enterprises, and then create a long-term business. We see the both type of companies coexisting. Walk away, leave, and stay, and do it long-term. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that once you decide to do that long-term, you will be able to be successful. No one can guarantee that. There are still some companies who, at the end of the day, spend a few years and fail and basically leave China with misery, with bad feelings. That, that happens. That happens everywhere, by the way. If the German company goes to the U.S., it doesn't guarantee the success in the U.S. either. China is not an easy market. But I guess it's just a normal journey for a successful entrepreneur. For a brave entrepreneur, it's just part of your daily life to try, to explore. And you fail, they fail. And if you decide you want to do it again, you do it again. Let me ask you one question. Let's take the German entrepreneur again. Would a German entrepreneur have a real chance to make his or her company into a unicorn in China? So is there a real chance for, let's say, a deep tech entrepreneur to scale the business in China and be successful in China long term? So if like deep tech startup plays by the rule, if they um, really, really engage with local governments, uh, local enterprises, state-owned enterprises with the different types of companies that you just mentioned, and if they really establish a base in China long-term and work, for example, with you as a trusted partner to support them, uh, would it be potentially possible for them to really become something bigger here? Or would you say, well, this is still very difficult and um, I really want to understand this part as well. My honest answer to that is it will be very difficult. What I've seen so far, I think in the new pattern, what I'm witnessing, and maybe also it will be increasingly become even my prediction or even my recommendation. Again, I hope I'll be correct in predicting this and potentially point towards a, a new path for the overseas ones, specifically deep tech ones. Let's talk about deep tech companies, okay? So a, the German deep tech company wants to build a successful business in China. Whether it's be unicorn or it's a unicorn, it doesn't matter. Let's just leave aside. Let's talk about a successful deep tech company in China, okay? What I personally predict increasingly so moving forward, what will happen is, first of all, I increasingly see the necessity for a German deep tech company to see China as a standalone market. If we talk about German's deep tech company entering the China market, I think from day one, if I were the founder, okay, I would from day one consider a China for China plan. So whatever company I'm going to build in China, it's for China only. So this company will be treated as a separate entity. That's step one. Step two, shareholding. I would highly recommend the German deep tech company because this is going to be China for China thing anyway. Therefore, I would highly recommend the German deep tech company to give the majority shareholding to a trusted local partner. Number two. Number three, based upon the number one, number two, if the Chinese local company become majority and interests are aligned and German deep tech company become minority and also create a China for China platform, a China for China entity, then the fundraising will become much easier topic. So you can raise funds not only from the private sector, i.e. the VCs, the other individual retail investors, but also secure funding from public sector, i.e. the local government-backed investment fund, okay? So that that will become part of the local success. But because of that setup, these China companies, these, let's say, 
German deep tech company A. This China German deep tech company A company is essentially a Chinese company raising money from Chinese investors and growing business within China. And if it become hugely successful, the German minority shareholder will benefit at the end of the day as being a minority shareholder. Okay, so if they decide these China for China company could potentially become part of a global empire under the global empire, there's always smart lawyers and whatever professional can come in and restructure the company to create a more economically sensible solution. But what I can predict is because of deep tech has its own sensitivity in the increasingly complicated world, the China, US, the China, Europe, the deep tech, the sanctions, all these things create a China for China thing might be the best thing moving forward for these companies to be successful and to leverage on the local partners network and resources and to help them to enable them to work with the public sector indirectly, not directly. In that specific regard, I'm very pessimistic, but I hate to say that. I don't think any deep tech overseas companies, I mean, obviously, including the German companies, will learn how to navigate, how to raise funds from public sector, how to secure ground and subsidy from public sector, how to sign contracts and make sure you can sign a number of state-owned enterprises knowing the pain points and what they need. I think it's going to take perhaps 10, 15 years for them to really figure out how to do it. And I think it takes just way too long for any overseas company to spend that amount of time to learn that game. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let the local partner do it. And by the way, even there's even more flexible ways of doing it. For example, you might just simply do the license thing from day one instead of set up an entity. Or you might even consider a trade sale in the middle of the journey, not necessarily being the, I mean, being the ultimate winner. I mean, trade sale, sell to a local company. There's various ways to interpret the success. I don't think you have to be a unicorn within China to create a unicorn level of the business success in China to justify your success. There's very different ways to, to justify the, the, the definition of the success. The deep tech in China is a challenging journey. That's my personal prediction and the recommendation and a suggestion. Let's say in five years, if I meet you again, let's we talk, chat online again, let's see if this becomes increasing reality or just my personal fantasy. Well, where I'm coming from is that there is a trend of uh, more Chinese deep tech startups uh, moving into global markets and um, doing business in Europe and the US and becoming big also in Europe and the US. So I think there is this trend that you described about geopolitics and the situation, a bit more skepticism, etc., There's also the trend of more fierce competition everywhere, basically. So and let's say that right now, even for deep tech startups from Germany that might be a bit skeptic about coming to China, there is the increasing need of coming to China to at least get to know their Chinese competition well and to also learn what kind of standards Chinese startups set in international markets and to really have not only the Chinese market on the radar, but also their, like rethink their solution for global markets. And I think coming back to your mission at Xnode, that you want to want to have Xnode as a global or Chinese platform for global innovation. If you do everything that you just described, you still have the necessity to 
somehow understand how China works, how you need to navigate it, how you need to also not only develop a separate solution for the Chinese market, but also um, re-implement what you see in the Chinese market into your own solution to be more successful in global markets. I think this is where I'm coming from, why I do see a trend of more deep tech startups looking at China. They might be giving away shares to Chinese companies in Europe. They might be giving away shares to Chinese companies in the US. So there, there is the necessity to have a bigger market share uh, globally to also be successful in China. That's what I see. I'm not sure if you would agree to that. I think you raised two separate issues, so I try to analyze these two. I mean, to, I try to analyze the, the, the number two first. About the deep tech company entering the China market, maybe I'm a little bit too pessimistic. The so-called solution, the China for China thing, I think actually it's a, it's a smart move because, I mean, if these deep tech companies really want to do everything by themselves without really being able to create a, a real local, local, local company, and given all the difficulty I just shared then, Instead of losing it, not earning a single penny. So forming a, a JV with a local partner and let them do it. And basically you focus entirely on the technology, on the R&D, on the, on the other parts might be actually a much smarter move. At the end of the day, you still want a piece of market in China compared to not having it at all. And at the same time, by the way, with all the geopolitical issues that are existing, the R&D, the general R&D, the tech development will continue to be in the major headquarters, a unique the China market, you have access to a single a piece of the China market. I think that's essentially what they're looking at. Because at the end of the day, the reason why they come to China, I don't think they come to China for the pure R&D. I don't think they're coming to China for the pure talent sourcing. They're coming to China primarily looking at the market. I want to enter the China market, sign up Chinese customers. If that's the goal, so focus what you're good at and developing the market. Work with someone that you trust, you feel comfortable with, and build a long-term relation. Let them do the show so that you will have access to a piece of the business. The Chinese enterprises, the deep tech company going out of China. This year, 2023, is the beginning of the China outbound year. The past three years, COVID then, you know, has been, no one will be able to travel. People cannot go. A lot of historical connections, relationships, the networks, whatever that you have built over the past five, six, three, ten. Because of the three years of lockdown, stopped. If you look at the, the, the Western media, if you open up the BBC, there's a lot of neg negative new news coverage on China. The Chinese business going out will not be easy, okay? Although, I mean, people say that, hey, look at what happened in the eight, 70s and 80s of Japanese companies. Look at what happened to the Korean companies in the 80s and 90s. The Chinese companies being the 10 times or 20 times, 50 times bigger than will have a much bigger impact outside of China. I disagree. I mean... The very fact that the Japanese and Koreans, when they expanded outside of, of their countries, 70s, 80s, and 90s, there weren't many political issues. It's actually a very much a globalized world. So there's a liberal trade, open trade, okay? Encourage foreign direct investment, leverage on the cost advantages, okay? And seize the overseas market. Obviously, there are politics around that. The, the, the very fact that the Japanese cars having these unfair tariffs being imposed by the US authorities, in the 80s and 90s, that did happen, but not that level of political things discussion that we are seeing today between China and the rest of the world. I see that as the biggest challenge that the Chinese enterprises are facing in general. That include the big ones, medium-sized ones, and the smaller ones, and specifically the deep tech ones. Okay. However, on the other hand, I also believe in the virtual, the value of open trade. 
the necessity of the humankind to do business with each other, to trade each other, to promote the technology exchange with each other. Technologies is something that is being invented and it should be embraced, should benefit the whole humankind. The AI technologies can be used by military, can be used by the human, uh, by civilian use. So how to tell the differences? I think it's quite silly as, on, on, again, this is my personal feeling, to put all these blocks and blame each other. Say, hey, you know, you're going, you want to steal me, you want to dominate, you want to bully me, this and that. As a private entrepreneur, I believe in, at the end of the day, entrepreneurs are the driving force of human society. Entrepreneurs are the driving force of technology and the transformation of the world we're living in. I hope the Chinese companies will be able to overcome all these issues and be able to expand outside of China in a much more easier and liberal environment. However, that's not reality. So what does that mean, Bettina? They need help from European partners. The same reason why the European companies need the Chinese partner when they do business in China. The very fact that the Chinese businesses are very successful here in China doesn't mean that they will be successful at all in the Western countries. Think about the tech infrastructure that we are using today in China. There's no Google. There's no LinkedIn. There's no Facebook. There's no Amazon Cloud. Oh, there is Amazon Cloud, but the domestic version, okay? And whatever the tech infrastructure the Chinese enterprises are using today in China, when you go out of China then, completely different. So how to shorten the gap? How to overcome the political issues? How to make sure the Chinese brands and the companies will increasingly still being liked, embraced by the Western customers? Find a local trusted partner and to work with them and let them help you do it. So funny, when we talk about these overseas companies to increasingly difficult to do business in China, same applies to the Chinese. So if this audience that Bettina, your program is targeting, the people that listen to your podcast are more based in Europe, I will highly recommend the audience to not only think of coming to China, find a trusted local partner, and to expand in China business, explore the possibility, but also potentially explore the possibility of maybe I can help some of the excellent companies from China to expand in Europe. I was having dinner with the president of NIO, a star EV brand from China, NIO. They are actually selling in Germany, selling in Norway. Although they are not selling that well yet, okay? They will be increasingly so more and more Chinese domestic brands such as NIO were expanding to Europe. They will look for people who can help them. Europeans can help them. So I opened up another possibility for my European audience to potentially have another possibility and a, a new path potentially for you to explore. And we are very happy to also tap into Bettina's network to see maybe some of the people will be interested in helping the Chinese brand expand outside of China, starting from Europe. Yeah, thank you very much. I think there's nothing to add and we should definitely catch up on this angle. Thank you very much for all these great insights, for your opinion, for your also hints on support that international startups can get in China, um, how we can all collaborate better, how we can help each other to build more trust and um, solve global challenges together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you again soon and have a great day in Shanghai. Thank you, Bettina. It's my pleasure. So here's what we learned. First, if you want to be successful in China long term, you should find a Chinese middleman on the ground who can grant you access to a powerful network of local governments, state-owned enterprises and Chinese corporates. This middleman can be a Chinese manager, a sales channel partner or an accelerator with strong Chinese ties. 
Second, you should form a China entity which is separate from your global business and which implements a China for China approach. China for China means that you have a separate product, separate strategy and separate operations tailored to the Chinese market. This way, your IP can stay in Europe while your Chinese partner gets the product ownership for the Chinese market. Third, Zhou Wei recommends that this China entity is structured based on a 51 to 49% ratio, meaning that the Chinese partner gets the majority shareholding for your China business. The advantage that this setup gives you is that your China entity counts as a Chinese business and gains better access to networks, customers and funding opportunities. I'm looking forward to discussing this topic further in the upcoming episodes. Stay tuned, your German innovators in China network.